From another time comes a man of great power. Talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. A warrior of incredible strength. You've the devil in you. We've been kinsmen 20 years. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. A man uncertain of his future. What you got here, Brenda, is a guy who's been creeping around since at least 1700. Not possible. And haunted by his past. Wait a minute, Nash. I want some answers. You cannot die, McLeod. I am Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. I was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shiel. I am immortal. <laughs> A hero who is about to face his greatest challenge. You will always be weaker than I. What can you tell me about a seven-foot lunatic hacking away with a broadsword at one o'clock in the morning, New York City, 1985? Not much. For he is not alone. In the end... There can be only one. There can be only one. And here we are, we're the princes of the universe. And we belong, for survival. We've come to be the rulers of your Basically, uh, okay, man, David, I give in. I cry uncle. Uh, you've been hounding me since episode two of the Film and Water podcast to do Highlander. And I kept putting you off, but I've finally given in. So we're doing Highlander. We're doing Highlander? We're doing Highlander. That's what we're here to do. So we're going to talk Highlander. Is, is there anybody who's listening to this who doesn't know what Highlander is? Do you think I would hope think, not. Yeah. I mean, 1986, directed by Russell Mulcahy, starring Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery. An immortal Scottish swordsman was confront the last of his immortal opponent, a, a, opponent, a murderously brutal barbarian who lusts for the fabled prize. I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I'll, I'll, all right, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Part of the reason I made fun of this movie so much was partly because you loved it so much. It was just like, okay, that was just fun to just me and humanity. Yeah, exactly. But like, I never understood. I saw this movie on cable when I was a kid, and yep. I was like, okay, pretty good. Okay, it's fine. Like, it just didn't do anything for me. I didn't think it was bad. Wow. But it just didn't do yeah. anything for me. Right. And then to watch the like how much they've been able to milk this cow like that 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 made me kind of go what like come on like transformers yeah well yeah it's like so and and this uh, i should probably tell the story at the end but i'll tell it now in 1991 when i was at the joe kubert school which i attended of course and we went to see highlander 2 the quickening well that's not fair well no 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 no. but (laughs) what i'm thinking is this so it was me and like five or six or seven of the other guys and all of them worship highlander yeah they, they were like, like right and so i was kind of the uh, you know as usual the outside looking in i was just like okay you know whatever i'll go see highlander too 
And then Highlander 2 on spools, and they're talking about the planet Zeist. And people, yes. guys on the, to, to the left of me, to the right of me, were like, what the f-? And I was like, what? What's the big? Like, they were so offended. And I wasn't that offended <laughs> because I didn't think the first one was all that great. So I wasn't like, I didn't go into the second one with some deep emotional well. So that's why I've always kind of just held this movie at arm's length. But I've watched right. it again. I and watched it again it. for the first I enjoyed it a lot. I, I, I'm not ready to go di- deep dive into the franchise, and there's way too much of the franchise. But I enjoyed You don't movie. have to. No, I, I did enjoy Highlander. So, so you tell me, why okay. is this movie so special? Let me, okay. Let's just talk about the first ten minutes, right? Okay. So. And, and the, wrestling, the wrestling scene. The wrestling match. The first ten minutes. So we open over the Canon logo. You know you're in for something <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Canon logo. And then, from the dawn of time we came, moving silently, this beautifully uttered. Uh, opening monologue by Sean Connery that he did in his own bathroom and then uh, sent the tape to the producers. <laughs> so we have this, this this thing that sets up the gathering, uh, traveling silently through centuries. They're, they're, a, hidden, they're a hidden sect of, 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 of people that no one knew about until now. And then, oh, and then, Rob, <laughs> the sounds of Freddie Mercury and Queen Mm. Singing Princes of the Universe, written by Freddie Mercury. And then, wrestling! <laughs> we go to wrestling. And it's the fabulous Freebirds, Terry Gordy, Michael Hayes. These were the giants of the Dallas wrestling circuit in the 80s. And then we're in Madison Square Garden. And then what? Why are we in Scotland? What's going on? And then we're in a, then we're in a parking garage. And, why, and, and then we see this. But before that, we see this wonderful camera move. Great. We're going to talk about the camera moves, by the way. This wonderful camera move as it sweeps down big over the, the audience. Track. Yes, Russell Mulcahy, big on the tracking shots in this movie. And then he lands on the the furrowed, thoughtful brow of our hero. <laughs> wow. You need a moment alone? You sound very excited. I love this movie, Rob. Okay. Then we go. The, the, then then we cut to the Madison Square Garden parking lot. Not, but it, it isn't really. But it is. And uh, and then we see. Uh, Two people fighting a guy in a suit with sunglasses doing flips. And then finally our hero takes his opponent's head. And then magic happens. Like this weird thing happens, which we find out later is the quickening. And then we go, and then we're just cutting back and forth between Scotland and New York. And we're slowly building this mythology. until, And, and we get to meet Sean Connery, who plays an Egyptian, but uh, a Spaniard. But no, wait, he's really an Egyptian. And, sure, and, sure. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's good versus evil. It's a it's a brilliant Cold War movie, right? Because wow. I mean it, that's what it is. It's the immigrant story. Guy comes to America, becomes American, fights the big Russian. You know, it's 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 uh, it's everything. Well, it's a, and it's this clean. Has been, this has been great. So thank you. Uh, for more podcast, <laughs> you can hear. No, okay, all right. No, I did like the opening. I mean, first of all, the Queen. All right, let, let me let me backtrack. When you first heard the movie, were you already a Queen fan at that point? Oh, by far. Okay. Yes. All right. So, so let me. The, all right, so obviously any movie that opens up with your favorite band, you're going to be predisposed to like it. If I went to a movie and I didn't know that Bob Dylan did the opening song, I would be like, oh, hey, you've, you've got me. So I can appreciate that. So it's all right. So take me back to, to you know, whatever it is you want, to, you want to bring the audience back to, what moment in your life you want to talk about. <laughs> well, no, because I had first come across this movie 
on on uh, on Channel 14 when I was a kid, a heavily edited version that was airing on a Sunday morning that I saw at my godparents' house, and it was it was just weird, right? Like what what's going on? And I remember one of the I don't remember exactly when I came into the movie, but it was very close to the scene where Clancy Brown's friend Candy arrives after after the Kurgan gets a room in that seedy hotel. My name is Candy, of course it is. Yeah. So from that point on, I was hooked. And then I went back to my local video store and I found it and I rented it. And I won't lie that the, the, the Queen connection definitely uh, helped because even though I knew there was an out, you know, I knew what kind of magic had some ties to this thing called Highlander. It wasn't easily, it wasn't something that I could find easy. And I didn't have the Queen album until like um, 89 or 90. Okay. So I was already a few years out from when the album and the movie came out. But yeah, I loved it. Okay. Love it. Love okay. it. All right. I mean, you said it is It is an interesting opening. And you did talk about Russell Mulcahy, who, of course, came from uh, videos, music videos. He was big, right. on, big on the tracking shots and stuff like that. And it's, I mean, I like the sweeping shot that we see of, of Christopher Lambert the first time just sitting in the audience and he's not paying attention to the wrestling match. Like, that's an interesting... You know, it's an interesting opening. I mean, I, I had no memory of this film at all, so I was really kind of watching it for the first time when I watched it because I just... You well, you know. saw the American version too, right? I think you, the version you saw probably didn't have the World War II stuff. The um, version I saw is two hours long. I got it from the library, so I have no idea what version I saw, but it's it's two hours. That's you, the right one. Me. Right, no. I'm talking about when you were back when you were younger. Oh, yeah, no, you I'm sure. You probably saw yeah. the American cut. Probably, probably. So that's missing some good stuff in it. Okay. Uh, most notably, the uh, Scottish fighting in the beginning. Okay. That was that was excised. Um, but no, it, it, it's funny to talk about Mulcahy because when he first, what you know, he he was just what one of the reasons that he was that he was chosen other than his talent was that he was young and probably cheap. Right. And when when the daily started coming in, they didn't make sense to the producers. They would say like, "Why is there a guy with a shot of a headlight? Why is there a shot of a headlight here?" Which, mm-hmm. <laughs> I I don't understand it. And even the production crew was a little befuddled at how Mulcahy was setting things up because he would just do these quick, like second, third, fourth unit stuff that he in his head he'd already pieced together how these scenes were going to cut. But nobody really knew that until they actually started seeing cut sequences and then they're like oh my god this is great and no matter what people say about highlander it's story some people don't like its story some people don't like its acting because they don't know good acting but um it is a beautiful movie same thing with highlander 2 beautifully shot and composed movie highlander 2 falls apart story-wise but it is a mulcahy is an expert he is he's a wonderful director i think wow that's a high praise for russell mulcahy yeah he's better than orson welles what do you think of that Hello? Okay. So uh, <laughs> I do want to talk about the opening scenes with the cops. I mean, like Al, Al, Alan North as the as the head detective cracks me up because I can't see him as anything other than the, the guy from Police, Police Squad. Squad. And yeah. it's like I always wonder, does Alan North, when he gets booked for these jobs, like does he offer to bring his own coffee cup? Because he's always got I think that so. same I think styrofoam it's just part of his hand. With him. It's just, it's There's just an Alan North figure, and that's the only, um, <laughs> that's the only accessory. And I mean, I like there was like an ADR line where they're 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 looking for the they're looking at the body and you hear somebody say, cover that head. You know, I was like, OK, this is, <laughs> you know, they're willing to go for some laughs here. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole opening and the the, the, the opening fight scene is staged pretty well. Um, yeah, it is. With 
Connor. And, you know, it's certainly involving in that you don't know why this guy, the guy that's trying to kill Connor, like, what, what's going on here? Like, that's all cool. So it's a good setup. I like all this stuff. Um, yeah. The um, skinny John Polito, long before anybody knew who he was. You know, oh, he's like great. Completely unrecognizable John Polito is the other guy. Homicide life on the streets John Polito. Right? Yeah, exactly. And then you've got, what's her name? Roxanne Hart as the... Uh, Brenda no. Wyatt. Now, what is she? She a, she's not a cop. She's right? a forensic. Forensics, she's a forensic right. expert. Okay. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So she's the one. Look at who... how look at how ahead of its time Highlander was. Nobody gave a crap about forensics in the eighties, okay. but Greg Wyden and those other two guys, Bellwood, and uh, the other guy whose name I'm forgetting, um, uh, uh, Larry Ferguson did, didn't they? It's an interesting idea, certainly. Yeah, they were ahead of the time. Yeah, you mentioned Gregory, Gregory Wilden. I mean, he came up with this while he was in film school, apparently. Yeah, he went to, um, I think he was in Scotland or in England, and he saw some suits of armor, and he thought, what would that be like today? And he was inspired by The Duelist. I don't, did you ever see that? The, I've never the... seen The Duelist. I know, it's really Scott's first movie. No, I've never yeah. seen it. Okay. So it, what that's about is it's about these uh, Harvey Keitel's in it, and it's about um, these two soldiers that start a fight and then kind of keep trying to finish it through the ages, but one of, for one of them, it's all consuming. And the other one, he just kind of just wants it to end. Okay. Um, so that's, that's where the, you see that carrying through, through Kurgan and McLeod. Right. AKA Russell Nash. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. We have to, I, oh God, there's, there's so many things to talk about here. So much to unpack. It's so, much, really... so much, so much to unpack. God, in it's good. Okay. Okay. No, well, like, let's talk about uh, the romance here that he has with, with Brenda Wyatt. And then, of course, he's got their other romance with the girl from the past. Heather. Uh, Heather. Now, do you, f- like, you know, do you I feel like Heather. it undercuts the romance he has with Brenda? Because he's already got, like, you know, his true love is Heather. But because he's Come on, immortal, man. 400 keep... years? Right. Okay. <laughs> you're, so you're all right with that? You're okay with all Yeah. That? I mean, okay. he still lights a candle for her on her birthday. And you know what? I just saw it again last night, and that tear- scene still... Brings a tear to my eye. Oh my god! When he lights a candle in that church. Um, uh, no, I think it's fine. I mean, because part of the character's growth is the fact that he doesn't let people. He does. He like like you, Rob, doesn't let people in. <laughs> Keeps the shields the outside world from from uh, from entering that that heart that's three sizes too small. And no, even I and even myself, David. and even <laughs> and even adopting little Rachel, who grows up mm-hmm. to become kind of his associate slash secretary right, um, right, right. in his Russell, Russell Nash identity. Um, he, he, uh, it, it, it's conceivable that he hasn't really had relationships in, you know, throughout of, of any significance or meaning. Okay. And then finally he meets this girl who is, I mean, I, I like Brenda a lot, actually. She, um, she's a better cop than the cops. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. She figures everything out. Um, she's the one who, uh, figures out that, that Russell Nash is an alias and the whole birth certificate thing of, uh, Oh man, the scene uh, where she goes to that library and the, the guy has that computer program that can match the yeah. handwriting. I'm like, yeah. that is some sophisticated hardware for 1985 computers. <laughs> There's an app for that now, but yeah, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. But that's, and, and, um, yeah, it, it's, it's good that his cursive never changes because yeah. that scene wouldn't work. But, um, yeah, so she's 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 really sharp, and I I, I think she's very pretty, okay. and uh, she's funny. She's not a, the best dresser, but that's okay. Well, it was the mid eighties. What do you want from it? Now, yeah. I mean, do you not feel that that sex scene was a bit over the top? Uh, <laughs> no, almost, um, no. Highlander Highlander movies, um, they tend to have a lot. They they tend to have the the sex scenes in them that are pretty. If you see Highlander three, that has some like holy crap. 
uh, gratuitous stuff if, if, if that's where you're leaning. Um, I, I guarantee I will never go see that movie. There's no chance. Of Highlander that. 3, a very close cousin to to 1. In fact, almost a remake in some ways. Wow. Um, okay. Highlander 2, really quickly, McCloud is an old man in, the, in Highlander 2 at the beginning. Um, beheads a couple of aliens or immortals, depending on where you go with it, which cut you're saying. Then immediately, he's, he's, he's young Christophe Lambert. And then he, um, Virginia Madsen's watching this entire battle go on. And as soon as he walks out of the fire young and kills, a, and kills another immortal, they have sex. Like against like against a filthy a filthy trash heap, like for it, it seconds, you know. So that's yeah. Well, that's that's Lambert, I guess. Women um, love Lambert. It's true. They do. They do. But no, I didn't. I didn't find a problem with the sex scene. I mean, it's it's the '80s, and it had the power sax. I see. That's the part. I mean, it's like okay, they're gonna have sex. That's fine. But then it, I felt like it cut to like a, a Shannon Tweed movie all of a sudden. You know, I was just like, <laughs> this this scene is going on way longer than it needs to, and like they're having sex by the big plexiglass. Not plexiglass, but like the big like you know glass window. I was just like. I don't know. I, that part I was To One Year like, of Love by John Deacon. Yeah, I was a little like, I, um, I, 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 I'm no, not sure about that. I think it's fine. If that, if that, listen, if that's the only problem you have with the movie, then that at least, okay, maybe it's a 99 out of 100 for you at that point. That's fine. <laughs> no, all right, yeah. I did, I like the, the, the plot of it. I mean, I don't know. I think part of it is just my limitations. I've always had a problem with fantasy. Not sci-fi, but fantasy. And so, like, when movies start talking about like wizards and magic, I just start to tune out. That's my problem with like the Lord of the Rings movies or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, like that's why like the Star Wars, like if the Star Wars movies are like Star Wars oh. is fantasy, right? But if Star Wars has enough sci-fi in it with like ships and lasers and things that I think it keeps it grounded. If it was all Jedi stuff, I start to just get like okay, because the- well, that's that's biological now too, right? Like that's a, whatever microorganisms make you a space wizard. Yeah, exactly. The midichlorians. I wonder if there's midichlorians, sure, whatever involved, those are. midichlorians involving being a Highlander. It's you know what's funny? You mentioned that about Highlander. One of the problems people had with Highlander 3 was that that actually had magic. There was, there was um, a magician character, or characters, I should say. So there, there, it's, it's odd that – it's funny how, how like the rules can't really bend that, that well. So in Highlander 1, you have the fact that you have people that can't die. They can breathe underwater. Um there's a very nebulous thing called the quickening that I'll, right, I'll, right. I'll, I'll freely admit is very ill-defined in the first movie. Right. Um, because you receive it, but at the same time, you can. it's when you sense some, somebody else, another immortal, or it's when you're kind of in tune with nature. So it seems to have multiple definitions to it. But the minute um, you, know, you get aliens or time travel or, uh, or sci-fi or, or uh, other sci-fi elements or magic where it's actually called magic in it, a lot of Highlander fans bristle at that automatically because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's a weird – I don't know where the line is. And and um, in, in the European cut, McLeod says twice, it's a kind of magic because he doesn't understand. I mean nobody – what I love about the characters and the immortals is they don't really understand it. They just – they pass this knowledge down from, from one to the next and you know they have – they all have they what uh, they all have like uh, apprentice apprenticeships under somebody. Um, even Kurgan did in the novel. He killed someone. He killed his master actually. Um, in but, the uh, novel, yeah. There's a Highlander adept. Oh boy, Rob, we got to talk about at oh some point. We, we'll discuss all the extra merchandising. Oh my god! But there Lord. was a, there, there was a novel adaptation to for the movie, okay. and it goes into f- 
it, it expands on some of the characters, and one of them is Kurgan. Oh, yeah, it's an he, adaptation of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I thought you mean there was like there a are, separate. Is there is there separate Highlander books too? Well, there's a few. There's the oh my. God. There's um, but those are based on mainly on the TV show. So they follow Duncan McLeod, not Connor. Okay. We'll get into that in a second, but right, just right. briefly. Um, so what we oh we were talking about the lines and right like the rules. So no, um, which Highlander franchise is, is Gavin McLeod? Gavin McLeod? Yes. The uh, the um. <laughs> That's where you have a sea captain <laughs> who um, – I'm sorry. He doesn't I not want... help it. Yeah, go ahead. He doesn't want part of the... – he doesn't want to be in the game. He... <laughs> but, you know, before he was a sea captain, he was a, he was a, he was a weatherman. That's right. And before that <laughs> – Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm derailing. That's okay. This. Yes. Okay. So – There are several McClouds, so I'm sure there's a Gavin somewhere in there. Right. Um, but uh... – oh, yeah, yeah. Where was this? Oh, so, so the rules. So it – the characters themselves don't understand why they're going to this gathering or what is pulling them to this final place, to this final confrontation. And what's great about the movie is you, you really, you'll, you only get to see a handful of immortals. There was one you didn't see. Well, there, there's the one that's killed in New Jersey, probably somewhere by you, Rob. Um, this guy named Vasilik. And that's, he's meant, he, he's mentioned throughout the story or throughout the movie, but you don't really see him. And there was another, um, immortal, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, young, young doll Kim. And he played, <laughs> he was the security guard that, um, Kurgan fought and killed before Kurgan fights Castigear. So you have Kurgan, you have Castigear, you have McLeod. And then in the, in the flashbacks, you also have Ramirez. So, um, it's just a few people, and they. But I, even Ramirez, Ramirez doesn't even know what stars are. You know what I mean? But he, but he understands the. He just thinks they might be pinholes in the cushion of night or something in the veil of night, but um, curtain of night. But he, um, but he knows that there's, you know, there's the holy ground rule. There's the rule of taking somebody's head. And but they just know this. They just learn this. But I'm saying there aren't any rules. <laughs> there, there's no science behind it. And All it's right. Not, fair and, enough. And, I, you know what? I, you know what it is. Okay, I'm thinking, like, I. So you the, don't like this movie, or you love I, this movie? No. What does it have to? Why does it have to be either one of those things? Why can't it be? So you love it, or you're crazy about it? Let's no, let's okay, not. Okay, all let's right, not, yeah. No, no, I liked it. I liked it. It just, it just. I'm not carried away with it, but maybe if I had seen it when I was, you know, 13 or 14, like all. Okay, all the fuzziness <laughs> of the the all the fuzziness of the Star Wars universe doesn't bother me because that's when I saw when I saw it as a little kid. And I just accepted it. But the fuzziness of the Highlander bothers me. But I'm seeing it as an old person now. And and I can't necessarily judge it on that. Had I seen it maybe and been more predisposed to being, I don't know. If it had really carried me away when I was 13 or 14, then yeah, I guess I could probably have like a real devotion to this franchise. Even though it seems like the majority of Highlander fans don't like any of the other franchises. But we can get into that shortly about it. Well, that's not true. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we can get into that. But okay, let's, let's talk about Sean Connery. Let's talk about him because he, yeah, he, he was on. Movie. He, he was there for only ten days. Ten days, that? right, 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 right. Like, does he seem? I don't know. Like, I I like him in this movie. I he seems a little. I don't know. Like when he gives Connor the advice, if your head comes away from your neck, the game's over. Like, well, He's his Obi Wan. Yeah. Thanks, Captain Obvious. I mean, I could have kind of figured that out, but like you don't know that because you know if you get stabbed and come back to life, you don't know the you don't know the limits of your regeneration. Well, capabilities. All right. Okay. So it's well. All right. I see what you're. I see what you're saying. Okay. 
I just feel like if your head comes off, though, you got you should probably figure what, out. What if you just quickly attach it back? You maybe assume it quickly back. attach it back. Yes, quickly attach it back. All right. Now, what do you what do you think of him in this movie? Do you like him in this movie? I love him. I okay. I mean, he's ridiculous, but he's but but so here's the thing. Why is he playing a Spaniard? Why why is why is why is Ramirez? Why do they make him a Spaniard? I like I like racial blind casting. Okay. But, but, but <laughs> okay. Um. It works because I'll tell you what it's it's a weird kind of synergy because Christophe Lambert is very French. Did yes. you know he was cast without an audition? I did. I did not know that. <laughs> um, they were look. Or I'm only they, familiar they talk- with him from the one other movie, which is Greystoke. That's the only other movie. Well, really so were uh, so were uh, Russell Mulcahy and uh, uh, Davis and Panzer, the producers. Okay. Um, they were talking about guys like Kevin Costner, who I guess was probably fresh off some Silverado buzz at the time. How terrible would that have been? Uh, Kurt I can't Russell. Can't even imagine that movie. Kurt Russell, I could see doing this. Yeah, I'm not. Anyway, um, <coughs> excuse me. So Russell Mulcahy sees these magazines and he sees this picture of Christopher Lambert. He says, "Look at this guy. Look at those eyes. This is the guy." Because he looks intense, right? It He's just turns out it's myopia. Looking. Yeah, he looks very intense. There's no doubt about that. He, but he's blind as a bat. That's why he can't. That's why he looks that way. He's myopic. He's always trying to focus on things. That's why. <laughs> okay. All right. In, uh, uh, interesting sidebar for that. Did you know that's why uh, Margot Kidder did so well in her Superman audition? She took her glasses off. Had was is terribly nearsighted and was look was really like staring at Christopher Reeve because that's how bad her eyesight is. She was just trying to like make stuff out. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Dick Donner said that. Anyway, okay. um, so they take so so they so um, they send uh, Lambert's people the script. He comes in and they discover he doesn't know a word of it. <laughs> like his English is horrible, so he's learning English as he's going. Even though he's from New York, he was raised in uh, in Belgium or something like that. So he um, uh, French dominant and uh, was learning as he went. And they, and they kind of cover it by saying, well, he's got this weird accent because he's you know lived hundreds of years all over the world, so. Vocally, things have just sort of blended in. That so he sense. sounds I, weird. That, yeah, that, I kind of like that part of it, that he does seem not connected to any particular time, time or place. I, I thought that was a nice thing. Now that, now that we're talking about it. Lots I, of different places. Kurt, Kurt Russell would not have worked because Kurt Russell seems very, very earthbound. Terrible, yeah. Um, but Lambert doesn't – he seems hard to pin down, and that makes sense for somebody who's immortal. So, okay, I'm on board with that. Yeah, so Connery works because – you have a guy who doesn't sound like he's from Scotland, surrounded by people who sound like they're from Scotland. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And then, and then uh, you have somebody who, by the way, butchers the name in Spanish, <laughs> and, and, uh, and then turns out just says he's Egyptian and kind of can get away with that because he's wearing some dark eyeliner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it it kind of works because it there's a ridiculousness to it. You know what I mean? It, mm. it it's it's like if you're watching a play, and uh, you're like that guy is not old. That that man is that man playing King Lear is not old enough to be Cordelia's father. But you just keep watching it, and you get and the, you let the performance bring you into it, and the performance is what sells it. Sure, yeah. A couple of years ago, Tracy and I went to see uh, a, a high school production of To Kill a Mockingbird, and and those are funny, right? Because you're like, you how know, is Atticus? <laughs> you you got to get over the fact that you know all the people in the show in the play are like seventeen. You know, you just have to kind of go. So, okay, I all right, I see what you're saying here. <laughs> and they needed a name, right? So the, the yeah, entire right, movie sure. is filled with people who were unknown. 
Right. And uh, and Greystoke was getting some accolades, but I don't think it was a hit and might have been kind of panned. I don't, I don't remember what the reviews were for that. But yeah, so they went with this with an unknown, but who's just very charismatic and has a great look, who looks like he just always looks like concerned. You know what I mean? And it works. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I became a Lambert fan because of this movie and uh, okay. followed his career since. Uh, what other things of his that uh, we're I mean we're gonna go back to the movie in a second, but is there other movies of his that he's been in that you're like you thought he was really good at? The Sicilian, Michael okay. Cimino. Michael Cimino, right, right, right. When it's odd because he doesn't sound Italian, <laughs> and it's and uh, you know it's in Sicily, but but, uh, but no, he's pretty good in that. Um, in um, Highlander Four, I thought he was pretty good. Uh, wow. You mean non McLeod roles? Non McLeod roles, let's say. Okay. Um, I like him quite a bit in um, in Gunman and uh, Mean Guns and in Fortress One, maybe not Fortress Two, but uh, wow, he was in a comedy with with uh, Christopher Lloyd called Why Me, which is that's a video vault for you, Rob. I don't even I think that's on DVD anymore. Yeah, I've never even heard of that one. Whoa, okay. Yeah, he uh, it's based on a Westlake novel, but the names are so changed you wouldn't know it. And okay. of course, the script is far more. Co- I think it's a I think it's a Westlake novel, and this uh, script is so comedic it, it adventures it veers very far from its source material. Okay, all right. But he's pretty good in those. And then he was in Hail Caesar. He is in Hail Caesar. Even I was along able with Kurgan. To, along with the Kurg. Well, that, that's the perfect segue. I wanted. We have to talk about uh, the the Kurgan. Clancy Brown. Is, Clancy Brown. Clearly, Lex Luthor. The best thing in this movie, Clancy. Well, Brown, I think he is. Clancy <laughs> okay. Brown. I mean, I'm not trying to insult Christopher Lambert, but Clancy Brown. Name? Just bites into this part. Oh yeah! And ju- I mean, he really is so much fun to watch. When he goes to the church, and he starts like wagging his tongue in that creepily the, sexual at, manner at the nuns, at so, the like, nurse, yeah, that is very upsetting. And then when the the priest <laughs> tries to get him to leave, and he licks the priest's hand, like that is just really, really upsetting. He's he, so fun in this movie. He is, and he quotes your precious Springsteen. You know, he um, That's right. He's no, he's 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 the best. He's 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 so good in this that every Highlander movie has had a terrible villain in comparison. And they've all tried to either copy the Kurgan mm-hmm. or have some sort of crazy. The thing that, that um, the Kurgan is just he's just frightening. Right. So he's just this big lug who's all like might and fear and all. And, and every movie's try to duplicate that to varying degrees of of of. Well, no success, really. Okay. But um, no, he's 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 a he's a powerhouse, and you know he this is it was a really early role for him, and uh, he doesn't really talk that much about. It. He's done some conventions. He just went to the Highlander 30th anniversary convention in England, but he doesn't really seem all that um, into having played the role because you know it's just a one-off thing. He turned down a cameo in the second one, I think. That was a good and, idea. Uh, yeah, it was actually. But he. Uh, no, he and, and he even like his first. I think his first week was that scene where he fights Sean Connery. Like cut Sean Connery's head off, right? Right, something? right. That didn't go well. Right. He was, yeah, yeah. I mean, although I mean, what we've heard of Connery, yeah, you know, a lot. Of you know, it's funny. A lot of things don't go right when Connery's around because he's a bit of a prick. He was on the set of Highlander Two for like two weeks, and they had like three sexual harassment lawsuits. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Time. Yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, Clancy Brown is is he's he's terrific. I, um, I think under any other, under with any other actor and maybe under any other director, that role would have been 
almost ridiculous in the worst sense of it. Just a uh, caricature, if you will, of just of, of somebody who's just supposed to be, be evil, like somebody trying to do a Jack Nicholson impression or something. Mm-hmm. But um, instead, no, he is he's damn scary. Yeah, I mean, as uh, the way that the Clancy Brown plays the Kirk. First of all, the name I love the Kurgan. The Kurgan is such a weird word. It doesn't have any real like sort of like ancestral roots that you can pin down as far as I know. It right. just sounds like a bunch of syllables smashed together, which is frightening. But yeah, I mean, um, Clancy Brown really is like, he's he's playing Kurgan as if Kurgan knows how evil he is and how upsetting he is to people, which is, I think that's fun to watch. I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of other actors would have just played him as a hulking brute, and instead he's got a sense of humor, you know? Like, he uses his frame to just scare the crap out of people. I mean, that's I mean, he's really tall and stuff like that. You ever have you ever seen the uh, the old timey actor Laird Kriegar? If you're familiar with him, what's he played? Uh, he was in a bunch of like B noir movies, but he had a similar build to. Is he like Rondo Hatton or something? He's kind of like a Rondo Hatton, right? Except okay, he's a yeah, little yeah. more on the kind of A level side than than the Z level <laughs> movies that uh, Rondo okay. Hatton did. But Laird Kriegar kind of had a similar look. To, to um, Clancy Brown, and he used his physicality in similar ways where he kind of played these, you know, haunted, you know, but monstrous guys. And, I th- yeah, I think that, that uh, Brown is so much fun to watch in this movie because he, he looks like he's having a lot of fun. I mean, like, the, and the, the terrible uh, the notion of, like, what it would be like to be immortal and have no, be like a sociopath. There's like, no consequences that's, for that's him. That's terrifying. Yeah. Like, I mean, when, said, when, when he gets the hooker, and, you know, Candy shows up and, you know, there's that big, weird, like, a dioptic shot where both the Kurgan is in focus. He's right in front of the camera and Candy's in focus way in the back. And she's yeah. like, I'm Candy. He's like, of course you are. And you're like, oh, God, he's probably going to just torture this poor girl because he's so rotten. And, and he you know, does. He, he, I mean, he, he rapes. What's her name? He rapes uh, oh, uh, Heather, Heather, Heather. And he kills, you know, uh, Ramirez. I mean, it's like that's. That's a really terrifying idea, and he is so fun in this movie. He really is. I know. Well, he, that poor uh, old lady took on a joyride. Right, right, right. He, uh, he does the same to Brenda. He just ter- – I mean, you know, he's terrifying her. You know, it's – it's. Uh, no, he's – no, he's, he's, he's a terrific – he's a terrific villain. And he's a better – and it's just great because he's so – I w- sometimes when I watch a movie, I think, could I possibly ever face somebody like this? And the answer in this is no – <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's no way I would ever live through five minutes with him. So the fact that you that McLeod, who is never really depicted as that great of a fighter, you know what I mean? Right. He, he gets his, he loses his sword a lot in the during the entire movie, and um, or yeah, against Basile, um, even against Bassett when he's drunk. You know, um, now, which one was so, ba- was Bassett? Bassett was the flashback um, in Boston Common. With the, the comedic scene, the purely the scene that's purely played for laughs, where he keeps dueling and dying and coming back to life. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, that scene was supposed to make more sense. Uh, there's a lost scene with Polite, where Polito's um, John Polito's character is a uh, is trailing um, McLeod and Castigier, and they and then they corner him in a bar and they get him rip roaring drunk, and then that's where they start recounting the story of. The Boston Common thing, I think, right. that's been lost to a fire. But yeah, no, Kurgan is Kurgan is wonderful. And interesting thing about Kurgan, uh, he sort of set the precedent. His character was much darker in in the Wyden version. Uh, Gregory Wyden has always said that the Kurgan ended up getting played more for laughs than he than he was originally written. 
Okay. And I, I think Wyden, I don't think, really has that great an opinion of the movie, hmm. what was ultimately made. For a, a few changes, uh, McLeod's character was able to have kids, had numerous wives and children, and and had the the horrible fate of having to bury his kids because he just hmm. outlives them. That's dark. so that adds, yeah, that adds that adds a bit more of it. Um, and the Kurgan is, is, I think, just just a straight up bad guy. I don't I don't know if 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 he was as as, uh, as uh, terrifying. As he ended up being, and then the the use of a, of a villain with with the letter K became a theme throughout the Highlander um, franchise. Hmm. Okay, that's good to know. It's interesting. Uh, you mentioned you <laughs> You're mentioned so polite. no. Well, You're so I'm polite. just okay. Well, no, 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 no. It's just like I appreciate the fact that there are, there are people that just worship this movie, and I just don't have that reaction to it. And so, but you but liked I, it. But I did like it. I did like it. And I said, and I don't want to appear dismissive of it because there are things that I love. I am sure me talking to you about Highlander is what it must sound like to for Tracy when I talk about Star Wars. It's that same kind of like, you know, she you know, she likes it, but it's kind of like, okay, I don't really need to be going on and on about it. And, you know, I'm the one who's like, oh, no, 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 you know, on and on and on. So now you mentioned the cops earlier. But like, what, is, yeah. what, is the, what is with the homophobic cops in this movie? I mean, that's I guess New it, York, right? It's New Isn't York in the eighties. I'm guessing it's probably pretty realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, McLeod did rough up a cop back. You know, he, he did. did. He punches that cop back. Right. That's true. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, well, the, the whole like, you cruising for a piece of ass. You know that that right. that um, that was a great bit. But yeah, no, I mean, it, but that stuff was in the eighties. It was weird. I don't know how. Do you feel comfortable using the word they used, or uh, I'd rather not. Okay, so they use an F word, right? Yeah. And the, that was like played for yucks back then. I mean, if you look at a movie that's like Three O'clock High, which was maybe like even eighty eight, eighty nine, that's like an ongoing joke. Like, yeah. hey, are you supposed to be some sort of? Yeah. So it's it's um it's sad, but I mean, there's a there's a huge kind of macho element to this movie. I won't deny that. No. Um. And I think that is part of the macho element of the 80s. I mean, you you wouldn't see that today. I would hope not. Actually, you might. If you had a realistic depiction of a New York cop, I bet they would say something like that anyway. Maybe. But um, a beat cop, maybe, maybe not. But uh, but that's that's kind of how it went back then. And, you know, the, the cops are stereotypical 80s cops. Like, you know, they, they, they have all the gallows humor, the quips. They... Um, you see a guy beheaded, that's going to freak you out, but not these guys. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like that guy in Jersey, you know, or um, when when uh, when they're talking to um, I, the, the guy with the with the rush with the hey, Ruskies, eat this. Shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he tells them what happened with the Kurgan, they're fairly like, ah, we, this guy's a crackpot. You know, what I mean? <laughs> but it, everything's just a, a kind of a joke for them between meals. You know, it's a. Uh, you know they're they're fairly they're fairly eighties. Yeah, I think I think that's. I mean, you said this movie is squarely you know right in the middle of nineteen eighty five. So I'm sure that's exactly how all that all those guys talk back then. They probably talk that way now, but a little not as openly. But New York, a sewer back then, right? In the mid eighties. Well, I didn't go in the mid eighties, but it was pretty. The 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 rumor with it was pretty scary. Yeah, at that I, point in the seventies and eighties. I remember Letterman making tons of jokes about how New York City was just like knife town. Right, the synonym for hell and like urine is the official New York smell. Yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. he was big on that. Absolutely. So, Times right, so Square the, was 
Yeah, it was, it was, it was like pretty, the Warriors, right? It, but, yeah, I don't remember it being quite that bad. But, uh, one other detail I wanted to mention that I liked in the scene where before we get to the finale at Silver Cup, but um, yeah, the uh, <laughs> but the uh, when we see his apartment, first of all, I love that down shot where she walks around the circumference. I know, uh, so the, good. The, that's, okay. a, that's a that's that's a fun shot. But I liked it in the background, like a middle of the bric-a-brac that he's been keeping. You see Connery's coat, the red coat that yeah. he's got. Like I thought that was a nice little detail. And, and the they, katana. And they don't point it out. You know, it's just there in the background. And I'm like, okay, that's a nice little detail. Like that, you know, like oh wow, of course, if you're immortal, eventually stuff you're gonna pick stuff up over the years. You know, some stuff's gonna become important to you. I mean, think of all the crap that the average person accumulates over time, and that's one lifetime, let alone hundreds of years. So I think that's a, that, I thought that was a nice little detail. But I mean, the final scene, the final scene at, at Silver Cup. I mean, it is a little like what? Awesome. Well, it's, beautifully okay, shot. I, okay. Great fight. Yes, all those things. Uh, like a little on the like. I think we ran out of money because it's like we just happened to fight in a big empty room, like where there's no scenery or anything like that. Oh, come on. They make a great use of that space. But I do do like all the the lettering being torn down. Like, that was probably pretty And it is a good fight between the two of them at the end. That is a a well-done, well-choreographed fight. Funny you mentioned money, because that's what kept that fight from getting really bad, I think. After Kurgan's head is taken, Mulcahy wanted, reportedly, Mulcahy wanted the, um, like, all that energy from the Kurgan to form a dragon or some sort of demonic shape, right. something like that, okay. that McLeod would have to fight, and then he'd get the prize. Okay. So better than <laughs> that uh, That budget said no. Instead, and here's what I love about the, the, that final fight, it doesn't, like, to, if you shot that today, it would be n- nothing but a bunch of quick cuts, and you would, couldn't really tell if they connected or not. That's but true. But instead, you, you, you get this sweeping fight where these two, two guys who are stunt doubles sometimes or... Um, are are fighting. It looks good, and the and the and the music is swelling, and the sound effects are great, and it it never feels like anything but a huge epic battle that that you know might actually defi- decide the fate of mankind. <laughs> I did like that animation too, like the the monochromatic animation. Yeah, and like that looks actually really striking. Like I, I and cheap. Yeah, it, it you know it was cheap, but it actually looked cool. Like I actually thought this looks better than what I think you would do today because it would all just be CG. Right, you know? right. But I actually thought that was a very striking look. They looked like ghosts. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a, a neat effect. So I actually liked that quite a bit. I thought that was a... And then the camera nice. zooming into his eye and then, like, the expo- exploding head thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that, it reminded me of the time travel sequence from <laughs> Star Trek Four a bit. Oh, right, right. <laughs> but uh, Star Trek Four was, what, year 84? 87. 86, oh, 87. 86, 86. 86. So it was oh, same, same year then. Same wow. year, yeah. Good year That's for right. movies then. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, no, I, I, that, that last battle is great. And Silver Cup, that's just around you. Silver Cup that's Studio true. is a real place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A real place. Uh, the That was actually done at both Silver Cup Studios and in a in a lot in, in London. Of course. So of course. they did amazing. Okay, he knows his stuff, man. Okay, all right, all right, calm down. Speaking of sweeping shots, there's the the one that happened at the at the garden, that beginning shot, was attempted, I think, somewhere else, and actually decapitated somebody in real what? life, killed somebody in Japan, the, because the, the the lighting rig, the way it's set up, you know, it just this is before like great radio control, so I think they just kind of let the camera go, 
you know, <laughs> and uh, and it sweeps down and, and it reported. It did. It wasn't a Mulcahy thing, but that sort of movement has been known to kill someone. Wow! My goodness, jeez. And it uh, killed him Highlander style. <laughs> How perfect! Uh, boy, that's that's terrible. Allegedly. That really happened. Jeez. Um, <laughs> now, of course, this movie didn't do well when it was released in the theaters. No. Do you, you think the American poster? It's just that big black and white head, which of, of, scary. of which is an awful poster for the movie. I mean, that tells yeah, you nothing yeah. uh, of the, of the movie. So, I mean, I've seen the foreign posters; those are a lot better. But the, you know, this thing became a cult movie thanks to cable. You know, like and video, yeah, and video. This is really one of those first times where, because I mean, you really considering how much they've been able to milk this, you would think that this movie was Star Wars. You know, but it wasn't at all. That's kind of remarkable. It's better. No, it's oh, it's wow. funny that you mentioned like the 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 first, the American Post. Well, Fox was I think the distributor for 20th Century Fox was a distributor for the American for America, and there was like no hype. The um, the poster you said is what Russell Mulcahy describes as a as a serial killer photo. Yeah, it's terrible. It's a terrible poster. Like it's um, a, it's a nice looking image, but it's a terrible poster for your movie. Did great in Europe though. So if you and, you and you know Panzer Davis and I, I guess and Canon to some extent, not there weren't like man this was a great sweeping drama. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. see what we can do again. It's so this made X amount. These are the things that worked. Let's go back to the well. You know. So it's not. There's a little bit of. It's more. It's yeah. And 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 it's funny when you when you think about the things that become video classics and it's only limited. It's it's. I think the 80s and 90s were a special time for movies. In terms of distribution, because movies like Summer School, which I love, Summer Highlander, School, Highlander, those were probably available really cheap to affiliates, right? So those just got played because those were the movies that didn't cost an arm and a leg. So those just kind of those were on repeat, or Miracle Beach stuff like that. So they just they eventually just permeate the the conscience, the conscious, and and become. Bigger than they ever could have been under any any under normal circumstances. Hmm. All right. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, there said there've been what four sequels to this movie. There and, was yes, and then two, yes. and then a TV series, and then two a, TV and series, and then a spinoff of that TV series. Yes, yes. And then there was yes. an animated series and an animated yes. movie. Yes. And, and an anime. I mean, and books and comics. I mean, this well, the anime was, was yeah. This is what audiobooks. I mean, this. I hope that Gurgly Wyden is rich off of this. It was his original. I idea. think he is. I hope so, because I, I mean, good lord. Um, but let's talk about back to Connor. So you, so Connor was in four sequels. In I'm sorry, three sequels. His character meets his end in Highlander Four. Um, he also appeared in the Highlander, the series pilot. Um, he's mentioned in an episode. In a few episodes, but namely, the battle with Kurgan is very downplayed um, in the series, where it's just one of a number of battles. So the gathering continues, but it was a significant battle for him. Uh, he also appeared in two in two com- in two um, commercials as Connor McCloud. <laughs> they don't actually say Connor McCloud, but he dresses Connor McCloud and he has a katana. And um, commercials. Yeah, yeah. In one of them, pretty recent, he's like cutting a bush. And another one, I think they're they're selling cars or something. But yeah, he's dressed he's dressed in the Connor wear. That's so he's that's uh, amazing. Yeah, he's played Connor for a number of years. But final, but Connor's final appearance would have been in Highlander Endgame. Okay. And that was supposed to lead to Duncan, the TV Highlander, as um as the inheritor of the of the series. 
Now, do you yeah. do you feel like any of the follow ups? Obviously, they're not they're not the Highlander. But are there any of them that you think are like within spitting like, distance of the original? I like four. I like some of the things in four. It's not a good movie. Four now. Four is Endgame. Four, four, Endgame. Highlander. Endgame. Okay, right. That's the two McClouds, Duncan okay. and Connor. No relation. Same clan, different vintage. Um, but uh, I like that one. Three is a kind of a quasi remake of one, but not very good. And two, there's two versions of two, right? <laughs> um, there's several versions of two, but there's one that there's two mythologies. One's that posits them as aliens, and ones that has them as um, immortals from the distant past that are sent to the future. Neither of them really work, um, but I would have to go with with it, with Endgame. And the series is really good. The series has an iffy first season. A really weak last season, but a great finale, series finale. But the middle seasons are really good. Because it's interesting that, that 2 is considered to be so terrible, considering that it was also done by Russell Mulcahy. Rarely do you see... Everyone was hauled back, yeah. A, a franchise ruiner done by the exact same crew who did the first one. You normally But do you know see, the story you know, about 2? Not uh, a little bit. I listen... There's an episode of the... Proje- everybody should All know, right. any of you are listening to this. Yeah, Those there's an episode bandits. of the Projection Booth podcast... <laughs> There's an episode of the Projection Booth podcast, episode 300, that does a three-hour deep dive on the Highlander series. So if you if you want, and they, there's interviews with us on Mulcahy, so I recommend you listen to that if you really want to get all the the nitty gritty. But what's what's the overview of what's what the problem went wrong with the? With they were the, the American the the dollar was unstable, in um cause, and they they shot in Argentina, so that and I'm sorry the Argentinian. Uh, economy was unstable so the the value of the dollar of the argentinian dollar was going up and down um eventually producers lost control of the movie to a bonding company who just who just released who completed the movies themselves the movie themselves essentially that's not to say that that would that what had the producers continued on they would have got a great movie because they kind of had a second shot at it and um a few years later when they reshot when they when they shot some additional footage the story isn't good. It's not a good story. But the story behind the movie is fascinating. Right, <laughs> it's, right, right. It's like a producer's. You know, the, it's like the producer's. Right. Episode. But it's, you know, everyone was contractually obligated to return. Um, Even Connery? Connery, uh, Christopher Lambert, yeah, Christopher Lambert said, I'll come back, if you, but you have to make Connery come back. and Because they all signed a sequel deal. So Connery was forced to come back. And uh, I guess Lambert and Connery hit it off really well in the first first. Uh, movie, even though they hung out for ten days or something, like that, right. fourteen days, and uh, yeah, he forced him to come back. So they, were as you call it, the, the Wrath of Khan of movies, right? Yes, of course. Uh, no, but wait a minute, they were thinking of sequels even at the time. I guess so. It's weird because the movie just ends. Yeah, the movie really has a is a, is really self contained. I mean, um, you but, know, anything yeah, with an immortal character it's lends nebulous. itself to potentially sequels, but. Huh. Well, he wins the prize, which is right. um, mortality. But, right, right. I think, yeah, I, I think maybe they, they, were. they huh. were. It's it's weird when you think about what sequel, sort of sequel contracts were like then, because they might've, he might have just signed it thinking for, you know, for another movie. Because I, I know he wasn't obligated to come back for three, and there were problems with three. And then he certainly wasn't for four, and I think he just did four to say, okay, I'm done. Uh, Lambert, I'm speaking of. Uh, but, uh, uh like, uh, what's his, Sam J. Jones signed for eight Flash Gordon movies. Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he again, did. Again, were, with, again with the Queen. 
Yeah, well, that's why I like Flash Gordon. That's probably the only reason. But, um, oh. yeah, so I don't know what people's contracts were like back then. And I assume Canon was probably – I don't know how much involvement Golden and Globus actually had. But I know Panzer and Davis – I don't know what their reputation was like, but the, the Osterman weekend movie they did with uh, with Peckinpah was supposed to be like rot with problems. Right. And every movie they've done has had financial difficulties. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Highlander 2 had the problems with the money. Highlander 3, 4, they had some problems with Dimension Films and the, and um, who was it? The, 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 I think the Weinstein brothers and, and getting funding for that. And then 5, they also run out of money. So I don't know how... They're money dealings, really. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But they, none of the sequels have... have uh, it's a this shame. is probably the only complete movie they've done. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a shame that the, that Canon didn't make two. Because if, is it? If Canon had made two, you should, it wouldn't, wouldn't, instead of Connery, it would have been um, Chuck Norris or Charles Bronson in the role Bronson of Bronson as Connery would have been great, That right? would have been great. <laughs> and, and he would have come back you're, for you're eight You're an immortal there. Yeah, exactly. That would have been awesome. <laughs> But that would have that would have been a great moment. Like I said, of all these, all the stuff I've seen of Highlander, that moment of sitting in the theater and watching the other guys just completely lose their minds over what oh, they were two? watching during two. That is, <laughs> I'll never forget that because I just sat there like I don't get, I don't understand why everybody's so offended, and there was like practically a riot, and it was just was uh, there um, so upset. what moment in the movie turned them? I'm curious. Do you remember? I think the first, I think the first mentioning that it, that was like involved with outer space. I don't remember at what point that comes into the movie. I like Rathacon. Yeah, exactly. But just the mentioning of, of of outer space, it just made everybody so mad. They were just like, Isn't that the? funny? Yeah, they were so furious. Because they were Isn't just that like, funny? that's not Highlander, you know? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? But, so. the, like, magic's cool. I'll accept Immortals. I'll, right. <laughs> you know, I'll accept this nebulous um, gathering. But the moment you introduce time travel or science... Which is weird because I, I think, yeah, that yeah it's clear where they, the line from one to two ended up. And sadly, Brenda's character, killed in two movies, killed in The Quickening, played by another actress. She dies of solar radiation poisoning and killed off screen in number three, where it turns out they didn't have a child by birth. Uh, Connor and Brenda adopted a kid and Brenda died in a car accident. So she never even gets her happy ending. Oh. But I, I – um, no, this is – I love this movie, Rob. I have every I, iteration. I understand um, I have several copies of uh, Queen's "It's a Kind of Magic" album or "Kind of Magic" album. My, that particular song is my favorite one of their of their songs from the Highlanders. Over album. Princess of the Universe, really interesting. Yeah, no, no, I love the I love the beat of the "It's a Kind of Magic." That, I, I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Oh, that's." I mean, I like Queen. I've always liked Queen, but that one that one really jumped out at me. I thought that was terrific. It, they do a great job. It's and Roger it, Taylor. It's I, I like the, I love the idea that um each of the band members wrote a different song. Like that's really fun. I thought that was cool. Uh, it, it, it's well, got a very unusual yeah. sound, very unusual soundtrack for a, a movie, a sci-fi sort of fantasy movie. That's a that's well, a, not a, yeah. I was going to say they, they never had a proper soundtrack. They just put the six or so songs from the movie onto a Queen album, oh, and really? then they had three additional songs. Oh, I yeah. There's no that. okay. The Highlander soundtrack is, I think, Michael Kamen's score, okay. which is great and seamlessly woven into Queen songs, uh, but the Proper Queen, unlike Flash Gordon, Queen's Flash Gordon album, there's no Highlander album for Queen. Queen, A Kind of Magic, has all the songs that they use for Highlander with the exception of New York, New York. Right, they're cover different, of New York, New York, right. Yeah, which Freddie hated. And um, they have different the, – the, the song versions in the movie are different than the ones that end up on the album. They're slightly mixed differently. But um, 
the kind of magic album is a proper is, is a queen album that just they just kept all their songs essentially and then they did they added like one vision friends will be friends uh pain is so close to pleasure and then added those to the queen to the to the highlander songs and put that out as their album hmm. okay good to know it's very interesting oh yeah so you'll never get a highlander queen album okay that's truly yeah okay all right. Well, I think I think we've covered it. I think we've covered Highlander extensively. I, I'm so I, grateful, Rob. I'm, I'm so I, grateful. Yes. Thank you for letting me do the show with you. I, I'm happy. Um, I was happy to rewatch it because it was one of those movies that I I will admit I dismissed partly because I'm just a dick and partly because yes. I had no. All right, slow down. Because I was, <laughs> I was just like, okay, the, the rest of these things are mostly garbage and I don't understand. But then I watched <laughs> the movie and I'm like, no, this was a fun movie. And it, 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 it just didn't movie. strike me at the time. But but if it, it if it had, I could see how how it would strike people the way Star Wars or Star Trek uh, struck me. So we're we're friends now. Me and me and Highlander, we're we're friends. Oh, all right. Um, I will say this. Uh, first off, again, thank you for letting me do this. You're welcome. Uh, when I when I was uh, 17 years old or 18 years old actually, and at uh, University of Texas at Austin in my TV film classes, they went around the table around the room asking everybody's favorite movie, and this is what I named, and I got a lot of like, huh, and, or like what, and people were like, you know, Unshen on the Loo. They were saying like, uh, <laughs> right, uh, Touch of Evil. <laughs> they, yeah, not this guy. I fucking I said Highlander. And uh, and my best friend said Bucktown. I didn't know we didn't know we were going to become best friends. <laughs> but this was, you know what I mean? It was it, it it brought me and my best friend of 20 years now together. So I'm very grateful to this movie for that as well. Very cool. All right, excellent. Well, all right, David, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Highlander. I'm glad I had a chance to sort of reclaim this movie for myself, and so it's it's fun. It was fun stuff. I, if anybody hasn't seen it, I can't imagine anybody listening to the show hasn't seen Highlander, but give it a chance. It's a it's a fun sci-fi fantasy romp. It's a kind of magic. It is a kind of magic with a tremendous performance by Clancy Brown, Lex Luthor himself. And? So, fantastic. Christopher Lambert. And Christopher Lambert. Okay, okay. All right. Calm down. All right, so where, <laughs> where can people find you on the internets, David? Let's see. So I probably should have just done an interview for Emmys.com with uh, Anthony Hemingway on the Harriet Tubman episode of Underground, which was really good. You can also find me on this network occasionally. Although, you know, if I never do a film in water again, I'll be sad. But this is the one for me to go out on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, You can find me at uh, DM Gutierrez uh, on Twitter. I think that's it. But, oh, can I just add, if you're really into into the Highlander movie, there's also... um, a great podcast you should listen to called um, called Highlander Rewatched, where they're re- they're looking at the entire series, and they're also looking at the movies. And they spent six or seven episodes, hour long episodes on Highlander One. Whoa! Alone. It's really good. It's a really good podcast, and I recommend it if you're a Highlander fan. And your friend or your classmate from the Kubert School, Norman Lau, um, has one called Blood of Kings, and it's all about the world of Highlander, from the card games to the um, to, to the video game, to the series, to the comics. So check that out, too. Wow. you got to get going on that Queen podcast, dude. Uh, Lap of the Pods or uh, got Pod Save the Queen? I like Pod Save the Queen. Yeah. I really like that one. I think you should give that yeah. a shot. But, okay. We'll, I we'll, can't play music. You can't play. I, I The way I'd want to do it, I, I would want to say, look, this is your Freddie's vocals. Listen to this. Listen to Brian's guitar. Listen to how, the, you know, how they – I'd want to show, like, the producer's point of view of this thing. Right. But I legally, I couldn't. I couldn't, I couldn't do the show I want to do. I understand. I understand. All right. We'll work on that. So. 
Okay, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Of course, you can find the show over on Twitter, which is at Film and Water Pod, and this and all the other uh, great shows on the network are on the network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Thank you, David, for coming on. We'll talk about Highlander. A lot of fun. This will be the only time we cover Highlander. We're not talking about two, three, four, five, the rest of them. <laughs> there can be only one. There can be only one. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next week, that's a wrap. It's a kind of magic. It's a kind of magic. A kind of magic. One dream, one soul, one prize, one gold, one golden glance of what should be. It's a kind of magic. One shine. After we recorded this episode, I got a message from David pointing out that he had forgotten a couple of bits of Highlander trivia that he desperately wanted to get into the show. So he sent me a separate recording uh, with an even deeper dive into Highlander nerdery. So enjoy, and thanks again, David. Christoph Lambert played Connor McLeod one other notable time, and he uh, played him in the Princes of the Universe video with Queen, and that was directed by Russell Mulcahy himself, who also directed a, the A Kind of Magic video for Queen. There can 